Well, amen. Good, good morning, church. Am I on? I don't know that I'm on. Am I on? Oh, yeah, I'm on now. He did that on purpose. He doesn't, he doesn't know that I've been known to blow up houses, so, you know. Well, I'm glad you're here. Good crowd today, considering I uh, woke up this morning and I thought, oh, dear Lord, you got to be kidding me, you know. In fact, I thought I was going to have to wake the Lord up because it was so early, you know. But I'm glad you're here. I have to tell you, when, Mar when Don was making our announcements, I was looking at the insert, and he, it says in here, come on out to cheer Mark as he rolls down the court. I can see that. You know? So, uh, anyway. Well, I'm glad you guys are here. Let's take our Bible this morning, okay? I want you to go back with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I, I hope you know that. We've been here for a few weeks and got a few more weeks to go before we finish up our study on these last days, okay? In fact, at least a couple more messages. Let me tell you what I, I want to do today. I, uh, we did verse 1 last week. And we're going to be looking at uh, verses 2 through around 7 this morning. I've titled the message, When Love Goes Bad. And, and I think, at least I hope, as I work through the passage this morning, as we talk about some indications of these last days, my hope is that you'll understand what I'm saying when I talk about when love goes bad, okay? If you're a guest this morning, if it's your first time, let me kind of tell you what we're doing, maybe church take a, a moment of review. We're talking about indicators that show us what the da last days are going to look like. We're talking about some markers that will help us identify those last days. Last week in verse 1, we established the time of the last days. Verse 1, we, we talked about uh, what that boundary of time is that indicates to us that we're in the last days. We, if you were here last week, we kind of talked about the church age, but let me just kind of tell you this, if you're a guest. The last days is not something that's coming in the future. The last days are something we're living in right now. It began with the inauguration of Jesus Christ, the incarnation of Jesus Christ when he was born of a virgin in the manger, and it'll continue until the consummation of the age when Jesus Christ comes back. Verse 1 told us that the last days would be difficult days. I, I shared with you that I don't like that term difficult. It's a, it's a weak term. Literally, it's the word for savage or the word for fierce. And, and I think if we look around our culture if we look around what's going on today, I believe all of us would agree that today's culture is harsh in many ways. It's a, it's a tough culture. It's a tough time we're living in. And so when, when Paul's writing to Timothy, and he says these last days, this, this boundary of time, this, this age of time, Timothy, is fierce, and it's savage, and there's movement Timothy, that it's going to get increasingly so until the Lord Jesus Christ comes back. Now, let me tell you what, what happened in my prayer time this week. Um, when, you, when you deal with a series like we're dealing with, when, when preachers talk about the culture and the society in which we live, and it's easy to become very negative, okay? Okay. 
I just be honest with you, it's, it's easy for preachers to preach on the negative. Just like it's easier for parents to scream at their kids and say, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, okay? And so what I, I, I felt, I, and I hope it's the Holy Spirit, I hope it's not Tom, but I want to take a moment to tell you that, that even though we know what the trends are, and we're going to talk about that today, even though we know the direction of where we're going, and even though that, that, that we know that it's going to get difficult increasingly so until Jesus Christ comes, Church, what I want you to know, it's a, it's, it is a great day to be a Christian. It's a great day to live for Jesus. I'm so thankful that I'm living in today's culture. More people are hungry for God. They're searching for some kind of answers. They, they may not even know how to ask the right questions. But there is, side by side with a growing perversion of morality and spirituality, there is a growing hunger of people, and I'm excited to live, and you ought to be excited to live in this culture today. It's a great time to let your light so shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father which is in heaven. And I wanted to to insert that because we're going to be going tough again, okay? But I don't want you to go out thinking, boy, Tom wishes he was dead. I just wish I could have slept longer today, you know. I want you to know I'm so glad to be a pastor. And it's tough. I'm so glad to be a shepherd of people. And sometimes it's difficult. I'm so glad to belong to those who have been redeemed through the blood of the Lord Jesus. It's exciting, beloved. Even though we know, according to Scripture, that in these last days, there will be a perversion of morality. We're seeing it. And there'll be a perversion of spirituality. We know it's true. And so verse 1 last week, we kind of bracketed the time, okay? Verses 2 through 7 today, I want to talk to you about the trends of the last days. And by, by trends, I mean movement. We who are part of the church, we ought to be able to see the markers or the trends that's leading to the return of Jesus Christ, okay? Now, Before we read the chapter, let me just kind of talk to you a little bit about perhaps the immediate context here. There are many theologians who who think that when Paul was writing to Timothy, he really wasn't talking about society as much as he was talking about the church and, and talking about what's going on in the church. In fact, many think, and I tend to agree, that he's talking about not just the rank and file of the church, but he's talking about the past. Donnie's talking about pastors. You and I, Mark. Where's Mark? Uh, um, where's Mark? He's already rolling. Well, he'll be back to do baptism for us. He, he's talking about ministers. He's talking about, I should have never said that, talking about pastors in the church, okay? Now, listen, if that be true, and if he's especially talking about leaders, which would include deacons and, and Sunday school teachers, okay, then our antennas better be up. Our radios better be tuned in in what's going on in what we call Christianity today or what's going on in the church today. There are those today increasingly so that have a form of godliness And they're very vocal with it, and they're very visible with it, but they deny the power of it. 
So I do believe that we ought to be able to identify some of the trends and deal with them because the church is going to have to deal in that cultural context in which we live, okay? Now let me mention one other thing before we read the chapter. Before I surrendered to the ministry, uh, I, w I was in sales. I was a sales manager of a corporation, and, and uh, we, uh, we were in the oil industry, and, and it was a time for a while when things were going really well, and, and uh, there were a lot of drilling rigs r drilling. There was a lot of uh, a pipe being sold. Uh, the price of oil and gas was, was good at that time. It, it kind of tanked later. Um, but one of the requirements that I had, and, and the guys like me had, uh, Jeff, you're kind of in this, one of the requirements that, that we had was that we had to look at the future and make some decisions today for what we think the future was going to hold. One of the things that we learned was that, that we could not make decisions on what the price of oil and gas was at that moment. We couldn't make decisions on how many rigs, uh, rigs were running at that moment. What we were called upon to do is to somehow look at the trends, the, the charts, and forecast what was going to be happening, happening five years down the road, seven years down the road. And the reason we did is we felt like that if we could get a handle on the trends, if we could not only see the direction, but the, the upbeats and the downbeats and kind of put that together in some kind of a trend line, then we ultimately would be a healthier company. And those of you that are in business know that's what you do. You don't make decisions today for today. You make decisions for tomorrow or three years, five years, seven. It's hard to do that. We missed a lot. We didn't see the tanking of the oil field at that time. But we were still called. My boss said, I want to see you. I want to know what your sales are going to be three years from now. I said, dude, I don't know what it's going to be. So you better figure out something because we've got to send it into corporate. See, Well, I think that's important for the church to look at, to understand the times in which we live, to kind of make some notations about the trends in which we were going, the culture in which we're living, and the direction of the culture so that we're not going to be surprised when things shake out the way things are beginning to shake out. It doesn't, shouldn't, it doesn't surprise me. Does it surprise you? Well, the Scriptures teach us that. In chapter 3, as good as any chapter in the Bible, teaches us what the trends are or the indicators of this culture in which we live, which we believe is this period of time leading to the return of Jesus. I, you know, I don't know when he's coming. Uh, he knows when he's coming, and he hasn't chosen to tell me. I don't think I'm all that important to him, you know. Uh, but he knows. But let's pay attention, okay? All right, having said that, let's stand for God's Word. I want us to read 2 Timothy chapter 3, and then we'll focus in on some things this morning, okay? Remember, Paul is in prison. This is his last writing to a young preacher. So he's trying to get in everything he can. I think it's very emotional, frankly. But realize this, that in the last days, difficult times will come. Men, now he's talking about people. Last week was time, this week is people, okay? People 
will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents. You read about that girl that sued her parents? That girl just needed to bend over and someone needed to spank that girl. Anyway, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, <coughs> excuse me, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. And he tells them, we'll look at this next week, avoid such men as these. From among them are those who enter into households, captivate weak women weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of truth. Our Sunday school is going through the book of Proverbs. What is Proverbs? It's facts plus understanding applied to right acts, which is wisdom. These folks have knowledge, have learning, but they don't have life according to truth. Just as Janies and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth. Men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith, but they will make no further progress. For their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janies and Jambres' folly was also. Now, Timothy, he says, you followed my teaching, conduct, purpose, faith, Patience, love, perseverance, persecutions and sufferings, such as happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, notice he says, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. If you're going to live godly, you're going to suffer, and you're going to be called upon to sacrifice. It goes with the territory. But the time will end, and the new time will come, and it'll be worth it. But evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving being deceived. You, however, continue in the things you have learned, become convinced of knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the sacred writings which are able to give you wisdom that leads to salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is inspired by God profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. Timothy, all of this scripture is to help you as a minister in this age that's difficult. Be ready to do the good work, leaders that God has called us to do. Father, in Jesus' name, help us these next few moments to hear your Holy Spirit and not a preacher, to gain what we need to have, to apply wisdom to our lives in this age in which we live. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, gang, thanks. Be seated. Keep your Bible open. When you read verses 2 through 4, you know what you find? You find 18 different identifiers of a world running at breakneck speed away from God. Now, in reality, they're running toward God. They just don't know it. Man, they don't like the things of God. 
They don't like the standards and the, the values of integrity and spirituality. And so they're running away from it. But in fact, they're actually running toward which will be that ultimate judgment one day. Okay? Now, gang, if we sit and looked at all 18 of them, uh, we would be here all day. Okay? And I know you don't want to sit here and listen to me. All, I don't want to listen to me all day. Okay? Besides, out of these 18, they're pretty obvious, aren't they? And you know them as well as I do. So I'm going to take three phrases that I think are significant here. And I'm going to build my message around three general phrases. Look at verse 2. What is the first indicator? Lovers of self. You see that? If there's one thing that is an indicator of today, in the church, not outside, gang, in the church, is that the church will increasingly become a lover of self. We'll talk about it. Number two, verse two, will also be lovers of money. You may be surprised he's not necessarily talking about dollars. It's actually the word for silver, but I don't think the intent is just about dollars and bills. I think there's more there, and I'll talk about that. And then, in, in, and I think the main is down in verse four, he talks about lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, okay? Now, let me, uh, let me look at the word lovers for just a moment, okay? This word that Paul uses here is a word that deals with feelings and emotions, desires. It's not the word that a lot of times you hear preachers talk about agape. You're to agape God, or you're going to agape your husband, or you're to agape your wife, okay? He doesn't use that term. He uses a term that deals with emotions or feelings, passions or desires, okay? Now, I want you to know that, that, that passions and desires are not necessarily wrong, okay? God gives us passion. God gives us desire. We ought to have a desire. We ought to have a passion for God. However, passions and desire can become bad, if it moves us toward that which is against God or moves us away from God or moves us toward the world and the world's driving philosophy. And he mentions 18 different ones of them, okay? Now let's talk about lovers of self. What is he saying? Well, he's telling Timothy, Timothy, one of the trend lines is that there's going to be an increase of self or I. I, self, in the church is going to become increasingly more important. People and leaders in the church will increasingly get hung up on what is in it for them as opposed to what is in it to God in His glory. Timothy, it's going to become an increasingly more selfish church. There's a selfish bent in the church, and it's going to grow Worse, the church is going to become more and more narcissistic. I'm going to talk about narcissism next week, okay? And beloved, when I get more and more important, then that means that someone or something else becomes less important. And we're seeing the trend in the church that it's not really about the glory of God. It's about the good of people. Now listen to me. Hear me carefully. We're seeing that it's more about the good of people and less about the glory of God. Now, you may say, wait a minute, hold, hold. It's supposed to be about the good of people. Aren't we here to minister to? Aren't we here to help and encourage people? I would say, yes, but not at the expense of the glory of God. And in these last days, what we're seeing is the increase 
of the importance of man and a decrease in the importance of God. We're seeing a rise of this me-ism that it's really about me and we're seeing a decrease about God and His holiness. And I want to tell you, the church will die until the church understands that God is holy. And the church is about God and the glory of God. Paul wrote to the church at Colossae, he says, Jesus is the head of the church. And in all things, He has to have the preeminence. It means First place, Jesus Christ is the head. It's about Jesus, people. It isn't about you. And it isn't about me. It's about Christ and His glory in the church. And yet in many churches, it's not about Christ at all. It's about what I like. Or it's about what I want. It's about how I receive, not give. It's about my way or I'm going to find the highway and look for something more. Now, what's a term that we could use to define the age? How about individualism? Hmm? We simply love self more than we love God. Or we love self more than we even love others. And when you overvalue yourself, as I said, you undervalue others. The sad reality is self can have no competitors. Not in our vernacular, not in our world today. Man, if I don't like the sermon... If I don't like the song, or I don't, whatever it may be, it's not about God. It becomes about me. And oh, dear people, young people, if it comes about you, then the church is in a world of hurt, okay? Lovers of self. All right, number two, verse two, lovers of money, okay? Now, what term could we use to define this love? Well, how about consumerism? Would that be a good term, maybe? James wrote in his letter, he says, you ask but you don't receive because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on your own pleasures. Consumer, maybe a better term would be materialism, okay? And I don't think any of us in the church anyway would argue that we live in a very materialistic age. But listen to me, gang, materialism is not just about money. It's a craving for the world. It's a craving for the philosophy of this world as opposed to the next world. That's one reason offerings to God's kingdom through the church keep shrinking. Tithing's become a bad word in the church now. 10% is a bad term. We're down to 2% and we smile and think we're obeying God and we're being obedient. And then we wonder why it's not working. And when it doesn't work, we blame God, you see. Paul, Paul told Timothy in his first letter, Godliness is a means of great gain. I understand money. Money works. This word is the word for silver. I understand all that, folks. But I want to tell you, those who are walking with God, those who are in tune with God, those who understand the work of God through the church, understand that the church has to be supported. I've never seen a spiritually-minded person have problems with tithing, you know? And I've even told you, the easiest thing for me, it's hard for me to live holy, but it sure is easy for me to tithe. When you guys are gracious enough to give me a check, before I get any other temptation, you know what I do? I write a check. I don't even do the electronic thing, man. I want to write it. And yet we're seeing offerings drop from 10 to 8. To, now the average Christian gives 2%. 
to something that's going to outlive their life and invest it in this life that's, that's bordered by the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, and it'll end one day. And we're not talking about the world, people. We're talking about God's people. We're talking about the church of Jesus Christ. You see, I think Paul is talking to Timothy about the absorption of this world's philosophy. Jesus talked an awful lot about money. He said, where your treasures, your heart's going to follow. If your treasure's on earth, immediate, or is your treasure in heaven, ultimate. So it says they're going to, this last days, and one of the trends is that, that they're going to be lovers of money. I can tell you. Now, and, and, and let me back up. God bless you, folks. Man, we just don't, God's been good to Indian Springs. Isn't that right, church? Man, where's, where's Ken? Ken, Derek, you're on our finance. Man, is God good or what? Man, we raised our budget this year. We're actually making budget, you know? And I want to commend you and say thank you. But I want to tell you, what's, what, what's been norm here has not been tracking with others. Um, it, it, pastors are dying because they can't hardly even pay the light bill, you see. And that's wrong because the best thing today is the church and God clearly gives us an economic plan. You with me on that or am I just am I chasing a rabbit here? Amen. Who said okay? One person. Praise God. You and I. Hey, you and I. Okay. All right. Let, let me give you one last thing because I, I actually think this is the, I don't know why I got off on that. I actually think this is the main thing. Okay. Look down. I believe it's verse four because I think this is the main thing. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. The word pleasure that's used here is we get the English word hedonism from it. Okay. Now, what is hedonism? Well, it's pleasure over pain. Uh, I live life, what's relative, it's relativism. What's relative to me is what makes it right, okay? And so we use this as a term that we get hedonism from. By the way, the word lovers of pleasure is actually one word in the original. It's a, it's a compound word. It's the word for love feeling that I mentioned built to that word for pleasure, a hedonai. I don't even know if I pronounced that right. Now, here's the idea, that the hedonist is a person controlled by pleasure. Their waking moments are consumed by what's in it for me and how can I best enjoy myself, even at the expense of God, even at the expense of other people, okay? A hedonist would say that maximum pleasure is the only intrinsic good. Maximum pleasure, minimum pain is the good life. And you should do everything in your power to gain the greatest pleasure. By the way, I mentioned this in my first service, and I'll mention it to you. Do not go to Google. And don't type in hedonism. Okay? Because I did that trying to get a good definition. And when I did, I realized that I really don't have the body I thought I had, you know. So you don't really need to go there. It'll embarrass you. You have to click out real fast, okay? <laughs> the hedonist says that holiness and righteousness is not that important. Pleasure is the maximum good in my life, and they're consumed. 
Now, beloved, the problem with a self-centered love is that it's only good for a season. It's only good for a temporal moment. Now, remember verse 1 talked about time. You remember that? We said it began here and it ends here. This pleasure of self, this pleasure of pleasure rather than pleasure in God, can only exist between boundaries of time. First come, second come. That's the only time it can exist. Because at the end, what happens? Jesus comes, right? And when Jesus comes, what happens? Judgment comes. And so the question the church has to ask herself is, is it really worth it? If I give most of my energy and most of my time and most of my treasures into that which is a, a, a boundary set time frame, is it really worth it? Because one day when that time is gone, I look my Savior in the face and have to give an account of my life. I think it's a worthy question that I need to ask myself and you need to ask yourself, is it really worth me investing everything to adopt the philosophy of this world of pleasure and no pain, knowing that it's going to end? And gang, listen to me. I don't know when it's ending, okay? I mentioned this, I think, last week or the week before. I have no idea when it's going to end, but I can tell you this much. It's going to end. And the end is closer than it was when we got it before God did this morning at 4 o'clock, you know. Because each succeeding tick of the clock brings us closer to the end of that age. And we have to be sure we're ready for that age. Are we tracking here? Someone to help me out. Are we? Because if, if we are, we'll get through earlier. How many, how many understand where we're at? That's what I thought. We're getting there. Okay. Let me, uh, let me summarize, okay? Let me summarize. Verse 5. Look at verse 5. If Paul is talking about the church and leaders in the church, then, dear people, we better be very careful who we lay hands on in leadership. We best be discerning in our churches as well as outside the church, but we better be discerning inside the church. Form of God means nothing. Power of God means everything. If you can't see that God's smile is on me, if you can't see that the power of God's resting on Don and Mark and Lisa and Gail, then we've got a real problem, dear people. Because form means nothing. Power of God means everything for the church. One of our early church fathers, uh, Augustine of Hippo, wrote a book called City of God back around the 5th century, 410, something like that. He, he wrote a book called City of God. Now, listen to what he wrote. He said, two cities have been founded by two loves. The earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God. The heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. The first glorifies self. The second glorifies the Lord. Now, let me tell you what he was saying when he was writing. He's saying that you can't have two lovers. It's God or nothing. That's what he's saying. And dear people of God, blood-stained saints of God, listen to me. 
You can't have two lovers. It's God or nothing. And if it's not God, then it is nothing. And your eternal fate is worse than it is now because you're probably not saved. You're probably not born again. John Calvin said this, We so blindly rush in the direction of self-love. Self-love. Lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure. And dear people, that's what's trending today in the life of the church. I, 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 hope, I don't know what your search engine is. Mine's Yahoo. Yours may be Google. Uh, but when I turn on my computer and open up my screen, there's this Yahoo thing comes up. And, you know, it has weather and all that kind of stuff. But over on the right, you know what? There's a little caption. You know what I'm talking about? It says, what's trending now? And they, they have all these names, and they're all Hollywood-type people because they want you to click on I And I told them, I don't care what Brad Pitt looks like. I don't need to trend Brad Pitt. But they're, they're trying to get you to see what's trending so you can mold your life after what's trending. Paul deals with trending. You don't need Google. You don't need Yahoo. You need 2 Timothy chapter 3. You know what's trending today? Lovers of self. Lovers of money. Lovers of pleasure as opposed to lovers of God. And so my question as we close this morning is this. What's trending in your life, huh? What's trending in your life? Are you finding yourself growing in love for he who was slain, the Lamb of God? Is it? Do you find yourself trending toward the importance of the Bible and Bible study in reading it in praying? Or do you find yourself caught up with things that that live between two boundaries that we call the last difficult, savage days. What's trending, dear people, in your life? Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we praise you because your word is true and your word challenges us to live like the people of God. God, we know it's challenging. I understand all that. But God, it's the best way. And I understand we'll be challenged and we have to fight it until Christ comes. I understand. But oh, God, it's the best life. Maybe this morning there are those who have been trying it the other way and it hasn't worked. That are struggling with the old way and they know it's not working. God, I pray you'll fill their heart with your love, with your joy. And help them to understand the world is dying, but the Spirit lives forever. If there are those that need to make a decision today, may God grant that for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together. Stu will be leading us. Those to be baptized will be getting ready.